You may be seated. Well, first of all, as you can imagine from the song, happy Memorial Day. This is a day that our country has long celebrated a time to recognize and remember those men and women who have given their lives in service of this country. And so I just want to take a moment because I can see them and ask a couple of our veterans in the midst, and not just those that I can see, but any who have served our country, if you would stand for a moment, because we would like to recognize your service to our country. Thank you very much. You know, this is a time where we recognize that uh, we've, been, we've been studying the book of Daniel and studying God's sovereignty and his control and, and specifically how God works through the lives of the people of this world to accomplish his plan. And some of that has come through the history of this world, nation against nation, nations fighting injustice and evil and wickedness. And so we recognize this day, not just those who have served our country, but those who have given their lives the greatest sacrifice one can make. The scripture says that no greater love has one than this than a man might lay down his life for another. And, and, and what greater example of that do we have than in Jesus Christ? So it's completely appropriate for us as a church to celebrate God's sovereign hand working in our country through the lives of those who have sacrificed much so that we might celebrate the freedoms we have in this country. The freedom to gather for worship, but also the freedom to not gather for worship. I am thankful that we have this freedom to choose for ourselves, to gather this morning, to come before God, to recognize his hand and his sovereignty, and especially this week. You know, our world has endured much in the, in the ways of wickedness and evil. Things that have happened, whether it's down in Texas or in Buffalo, New York, or out in California, there has been extreme violence on our very shores that just does not make sense. And, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the solution to this violence and this evil and this wickedness is not such a simple solution. In, in fact, I know it's not a simple solution. And in fact, I know that it's not something that you and I can change just with a, a, with a decision we make or a, a subtle change, a tweaking of, of how we live our lives, this is a significant battle of good versus evil and, and a battle in which we need to depend upon God for the answers and for the solutions to what's going on in our world. But before we get to the solution, we have to recognize that there are people this very morning who are in deep pain and anguish over the evil that they've faced this week. And so I want to pray for our, uh, for, for our nation, that, that, that God would become more of, of, a, a, of an entity that we trust in through these hard times, that we would learn uh, about his authority and his rule and his power, about his justice and righteousness, about his gracious love and compassion as we, as we seek his face walking through a time like this as a nation. But, but, but more than that, I want us to learn to, to turn to God, to lament together that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, 
right? Memorial Day should be more than a time where we have barbecues and parades and celebrations. Don't get me wrong, those celebrations are a great opportunity for God to shape our hearts as, as we think on the good that he's accomplished in the past and the things he's going to do again in the future. But it's more than those celebrations. It's a time for us to, from, from the very core of our being, from the very center of our soul, surrender our hearts to God. And to commit our ways to him again. You know, in Psalm 10, David teaches us, just through his own, as a way of example, how it is to lament. Let me read Psalm 10 for us. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Do you think that it's possible that people were asking this question this week? God, where are you in this? Where have you been? How can this happen? What's going on here? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places. He murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that, they, that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him out into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Do you think it's possible that people have felt this way this week as they consider the evil that has gone on? How can this happen? Not, not just, God, how can you let this happen, but, but God, how can a person do the things they've done? It doesn't make sense. It, it literally defies logic and reason in my mind and in my heart. It defied the, the evil and the wickedness that is in this world defies the, the logic and the reason even of David as he wrote these psalms, but that's not where he ends. That's not where he ends. That's not where you and I need to end. Where you and I need to take refuge, prayerfully on behalf of others and for ourselves, is to declare our trust in God and in his sovereignty, that, that the day is not yet done. That his justice will prevail. We may not see it in our time. We may not see it the way we think it should be done. But God's justice will prevail. Listen to how the, the psalm ends. With David crying out, as we should cry out, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see. For you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. 
Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. May that be our prayer this morning as we remember and celebrate the many men and women who have died in service of this country to, to fight for the freedom of the nation that we, that we find ourselves living in and enjoying the freedoms of. May we not forget the sovereign hand of God guiding and directing those people who have given their lives. And not just those people, but that sovereign hand at work in our world today, even when all we see is evil and wickedness. So today, church, let's pray for those families who are suffering through anguish and cannot see beyond their pain right now. But we can. So let's go before the Lord on their behalf. Let's pray these words that David prayed to, to call upon the Lord. Arise, O Lord. Lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we lift to you our hearts and minds this morning because we can't make sense of what's going on in this world. And Lord, there, there are many who are, who are struggling to, to make sense. We're, we're climbing to these places where we think we can make sense of it, where we assume that we know what's going on. But Lord, we don't, and we confess that before you today. We do not understand how this could happen. And yet, Lord, we do in the same breath. Because evil and wickedness characterize this world. That, that it lurks around every corner. It surprises us because we would never want to expect it, and yet we should expect it because this world has turned our back on you. I have turned my back on you, Lord. Forgive us. May we confess this sin. May we confess that we are not God. You are. You have all wisdom and power and might. And so, Lord, we ask that we might, you, you might give us the ability to lay down that urge inside of us to make sense of this and instead commit ourselves to praying for those who are hurt and broken. That, that, that they may be comforted by you, the God who has left his seat in heaven and, and descended to earth, taking on the form of man. That you are Emmanuel, you are God with us. May those people who are even far from you come to know you as the God who is near to those who are afflicted and oppressed and poor. Lord, this is This is hard to wrap our hearts and minds around. I, I confess that I have at times these past couple weeks and even this past week stayed away from wanting to learn anything about what happened because it just, it hurts so much. But Lord, that's only a fraction of the pain of the people are, that the people are experiencing who are walking through this. And so Lord, we lift them before you and ask you to be their comfort, to be a refuge for them. Lord, that they, that they could learn that when they stop striving and, and, and just rest, that there is a God who will hold them in his hands, guide them through this dark, 
valley of the shadow of death. So Lord, we do celebrate the freedoms that we have. We recognize those who have given their life for our country. But Lord, we pray that their sacrifice would not be in vain and that you, O Lord, would lift up your hand, that you would arise, O Lord, lift up your hand and forget not the afflicted. You are the God we've come to worship this morning. You are the reason we are here. And so we praise you and celebrate you in that truth, praying these things in the powerful name of Jesus, who you have taught us to pray in his name because he has authority the authority given by you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's bow in prayer. Oh, sweet Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for this moment of uh, worship. Thank you that we know you and we are known by you, Lord. Thank you. Uh, indeed, we need you so desperately. We're living in turbulent times. We need, we're living in desperate times. And so we come to you because only in you can we find help. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Help us, help us in all the things that we do. For there's nothing that we can't do without you. You are our only hope, Lord. Help, uh, help us to bring the message towards the world so they could see that you are, you are the only help that we have. Thank you for everything. We ask you for the uh, message this morning, Lord. Help us to hear with wisdom and give our pastor wisdom to speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. And children, you are dismissed. Well, thank you all for uh, allowing me to be away last week with my family. My son turned 14, and his big request for us was, Mom, Dad, can we go visit my cousins in Maryland? And uh, I'm like, yeah, we can get you that. I mean, that sounds like a pretty cheap, uh, cheap gift. We'll go with that. No, it was, uh, it was a good time to be away with family. And, and I want you to know I'm so thankful that, uh, that as, as I do step away, I'm so thankful for men like Pastor Moses who can who can stand in the pulpit and, and proclaim God's word. Uh, he, he has been a blessing to me in my ministry of being able to, uh, to just to, to, to find uh, someone who, who understands the world of, of shepherding and, and can kind of help give me wisdom and, and, and guidance, even as I'm kind of sitting here saying, I think I'm doing it right, or maybe this was wrong. And he's like, no, 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 that's definitely wrong. You should go this way. No, uh, he's just, he's a great partner in ministry. And so I just want you to know, Trinity, how blessed we are to, to have him uh, as, as a, a ministry partner like that. Uh, before I carry on in the book of Daniel and go to Daniel chapter 4 with us this morning, I, I do want to take one more moment uh, to pray, and specifically for uh, one of our leaders, who uh, Chris Dan, who's been battling um, what was an unknown illness in the hospital. He's not doing very well this morning. He's, he, I did receive word from his wife, Judith, that um, it's confirmed that it's this very rare uh, disease called HLH, and uh, I guess he's, he's had it since he was born, but it, it just certain moments where it comes out, and uh, usually under moments of high, the body's under high stress, and um, now that they know what it is and have confirmed it, they know the treatment that he needs. However, his body is very weakened by, uh, by battling this thus far. And so Judith has asked that we pray that God would strengthen him, allow him to go through this treatment. The doctors still have hope that, um, that he'll respond well to this treatment over time, uh, but they, just, they need him to get stronger. And so um, she knows, she, she's turned to the church and said, church, will you pray with me? For Chris, and so I, I told her yes. We would like to pray for him this morning. Chris is one of our leaders who works up in the the tech booth. He's done. He's been faithful throughout many years to to come and and help us put the slides on the screen, and 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 he's been a very important part of that team. We're thankful for him, as we are for all of our leaders. But uh, we just want to take a uh, a moment now. I'd like to take a moment now and just pray for Chris and Judith. So let's bow our heads one more time. 
Heavenly Father, you are the great physician. And Lord, we surrender ourselves into your hands uh, in times, most times when we see our need. But Lord, the reality is we're always in your hands, even in those times where we don't realize how great our need is. And yet, Lord, Chris has forever been faithful in trusting you and depending upon you along with his wife, Judith. And so, Lord, we just pray, even knowing that he's in your hands right now, that you continue to strengthen his body. Allow him to, to go through these treatments, to, to continue to receive dialysis and, um, and, and the, the chemotherapy treatments that he'll need to, to counteract what this disease is doing to his body. Lord, um, we also pray that you'd strengthen Judith, who uh, you can imagine ha has experienced her world being turned upside down in the past week. Uh, Lord, we pray that she would know your nearness to her in this time in a, a very tangible way. Not just that she believes that you are near, but she would sense your nearness and be comforted by that, Lord. That she would continue to be strengthened by you so that she can remain by uh, Chris's side and... and, uh, and, and encourage him through prayer and through words of affirmation and love as she watches him go through this, Lord. So, Lord, we, we lift him to you, ask you to have your way in him and be with him. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, open up to Daniel chapter 4. By the way, isn't it great we get to go through a whole book of the Bible named after your pastor? I mean, isn't that... <laughs> It's got to be such a wonderful thing. No, Daniel is, is actually, um, I, I was named after a, a professor who was named after the book of, of Daniel, and so it's kind of cool to think that I, I do share that, uh, the, the name heritage with uh, another, another professor. But, um, but we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4 this week. And in Daniel chapter 4, there's some really cool things going on that I want to highlight. It's a big chapter. And, uh, and, and so I want to try to filter it down for us the best way possible and just try to highlight where is Daniel, what's, what's, what's the idea, what's the meaning of this, this season in Daniel's life, this, this narrative, this chapter in his life where uh, Nebuchadnezzar calls upon him for help. And, and so as I was reading over Daniel chapter 4, it actually made me think about a chapter in my own life when I was a little boy. In fact, it was probably one of the earliest memories I can I kind of still remember. I'm sure there's other things that I would have remembered, but this one just stands out for some reason. It, it was shortly after my family moved from Shelton up to upstate New York for a position that my dad was taking on. And, and I just vaguely remember standing by the mailbox at the end of our driveway, meeting my neighbor who lives across the street. His name is Matt Franzi. And Matt, grew up, uh, Matt and I grew up to be the best of friends. Like, he was a great friend for me. But this was not necessarily a, an episode that depicts a great friendship, right? Because what I remember doing with Matt at the end of my driveway by the mailbox is having that, that typical boy conversation with other boys, you know, you know the argument, like, my dad could beat up your dad, right? I don't know why, but, but that's like the earliest conversation I remember having with this kid that becomes my best friend. Now, you can imagine, uh, if you know our dads, how this conversation would, would have gone. Matt's dad was a carpenter, lifting heavy carpets, installing carpets all day long, up on his feet, moving around, bending down, you know, carrying things in and out of buildings. My dad was a pastor who sat behind a desk for the whole day. And so I, I, was, I was adamant that my dad could beat him up. I don't know that we ever came to the conclusion as to whose dad could beat up whose dad, but 
but I mean, I'm, I'm big enough to admit that I'm not sure it would have turned out the way I would hoped it had, had that situation gone as, as I had dreamed it had. But here in Daniel chapter 4, we, we see this similar situation where King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream through which the interpretation should leave us asking a similar question, right? The similar question is the one that Matt and I asked uh, beside the mailbox so long ago. This is a question we should be asking ourselves this morning. Who is truly king? Who has the true power and authority? Who's truly sovereign over this Lord? Not so much whose dad could beat up whose dad, but, but whose king is truly sovereign? Whose king is truly powerful and king of this world? Is it King Nebuchadnezzar, a, a, a human king, or, or is it God? The question you have to ask yourself is, whom do you believe is the king with authority and sovereignty? And not just who are you willing to say when you come to church on Sunday morning who has power and authority, but deep down within your soul, when push comes to shove, who do you really believe is in control? Who do you really believe has power and authority and, and, and sovereignty? Now, on, on past occasions, we've talked about this, but, but what you believe matters. Not just like what you believe and could put on like a resume of your beliefs, but what are those beliefs that truly guide your life? And what you believe about God's sovereignty truly matters. Do you believe God is in control? I mean, church, think about this past week and the things that we read about in the news and that have been happening down in Texas or, or a couple weeks ago in Buffalo or, 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 or out in California or what's happening in Ukraine. In those moments when you're reading those articles, do you believe that those world leaders or those in, wicked individuals actually have power and authority? Or do you believe that they still sit under the power and authority of God and will be held accountable for the wickedness that they've committed? See, I think we, we live in a day and age, church, where people think very highly of themselves, more highly of themselves than they ought to. That we treasure and, and, and almost like hoard this belief in our independence and individual freedoms. But, but what we don't necessarily consider is how when taken too far, these ideals lead to thinking very little of God. Think about this for a minute. When taken too far, when I treasure my independence... When, I, when I'm so thankful for the freedoms I have in this country and I, I, I treasure that, I, I idolize those freedoms, when taken too far, those ideas and being driven by those ideas lead us to think less of God and his sovereignty. See, my, my generation grew up being told that we could do anything we put our minds to, that, that, that we just got to put our minds to it, be dedicated to it, and it will turn out the way we want it to. Well, I've since learned that's a lie. <laughs> I've had to learn the hard way that that's not necessarily true, that you can do your very best, you can pour out your energy and your effort and work very hard towards something, and it doesn't necessarily turn out the way you want to, right? The generation that followed me was given the tools, the technological tools, that make us believe this lie. They put so much at our fingertips. 
to make us think, hey, I've got all the resources. I've just got to put my mind to it and I can make it happen. Nothing could stop me. I've got all the knowledge of the world in the palm of my hands. I just have to Google it, right? There's this false idea that, that we have more power than we think we do have, right? Daniel chapter 4 is a chapter that helps us wrestle with this question of who do we truly believe has authority? Who do we truly believe is sovereign? See, in Daniel chapter 4, it's a a bit of a a testimony where King Nebi realizes the limit of his own power. And in realizing the limit of his own power, he realizes the limitless power of Daniel's God. Look at the first two verses of chapter 4 with me. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is what he writes, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, all nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. This is kind of like a, a, a royal decree, a royal kind of introduction to a message he's about to share. It has seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Sounds pretty good so far, right? Sounds like King Nebuchadnezzar has kind of woken up and realized that he's not all that great. He points to these signs and wonders, this supernatural power that the Most High God has done for him. And what, goes, what we go on to read is a testimony of his firsthand account of God's hand in his life. He's telling a story. He's looking back at his life and telling a story in hopes of blessing others. But see, this, this isn't necessarily the main point of chapter 4. It's not the main point to, to look at what Nebuchadnezzar is saying and think, oh, wow, look how God's changed Nebuchadnezzar's mind and heart, because he doesn't really. See, church, I think what we have to understand is in this testimony, we, we get a chance to see how God can work through whomever he wants, whenever he wants. I think we need to be challenged to understand that that we need to open our spiritual eyes and ears to recognize that we can see God's providential hand outside there in the world, not just here in the church building or in fellowship with other believers, but we can look to things happening in the world and saying, man, that may not have been a Christian who did that, but man, that's God doing that in that situation. That's what he does in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. He works through this man, this leader, who worships many false gods. And somehow, the God of all creation is revealed in his life. God's power and might and majesty become visible. See, the story that King Nebuchadnezzar goes on to tell is is a story of a dream that he has. And we've had uh, instances where he's had dreams and he calls upon his magicians and conjurers and other Babylonian wise men, right? Chapter 2, when Pastor Moses brought us through chapter 2, there's a dream that he has there, doesn't he? And Daniel's called upon to, to answer that dream. Well, the dream comes to King Nebi while he's sitting in his house. And, and the text tells us he's flourishing in his palace. I mean, just as you read through Daniel chapter 4, begin to notice how King Nebuchadnezzar is described. He's described as a man who's got lots of power, lots of authority, that he's got this beautiful palace that he's flourishing in, right? But something about this dream scares him. 
as he has this dream, it scares him. And I don't think he even knows why it scares him. He just knows that he's experiencing this fear and he wants to understand what scares him about this. What's going on? And so he turns to his Babylonian magicians. Does he turn to Daniel, who just a couple chapters earlier, may have been a little bit of time, but a couple chapters earlier steps in and, 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 and interprets a dream that no one else in the land could interpret? No. He turns back to his own power and his own strength. He turns back to those, the, the, the Babylonian magicians and the conjurers and the wise men that, he, that he's kind of gathered around him. He says, guys, I need you to, to solve this, this dream for me. Help me understand what this dream is. But guess what? No one can get it. No earthly power could interpret this dream for King Nebi. No power that King Nebuchadnezzar could gather or build or, or, or treasure up could answer the question that was on his heart and mind. What does this dream mean? So then Daniel steps in. And, and if you remember from chapter 1, Daniel has been gifted the ability to interpret visions and dreams. This is not just a, a, this is not a skill or an ability that he's trained himself up in doing. Again, this is something that comes from the hand of God and given uniquely to Daniel. And, and so Daniel, he, he brings this dream before Daniel, and, and Daniel begins to tell him a little about what this dream is. See, what the dream shows us, I think as we read through this dream, is the danger of believing too much in ourselves and not enough in God. Church, that's a danger that we all risk every day. And I'm not even just saying, hey, out there in the world. I'm saying in here, among the people of God, we risk the danger of believing too much in our own wisdom, our own money, our own skill and ability, and not enough in God. So as we read through this, I'm not telling us to look at this passage about King Nebuchadnezzar and say, oh, that poor Babylonian king, if only he knew. Put yourself in King Nebuchadnezzar's shoes. Imagine yourself as the one having that dream. Because that's what this is really about. That's what we really need to consider. Who do we believe has true power and authority? Us or God? In the end, it's Nebuchadnezzar's pride and self-declared authority that is his downfall. His persistence to believe in his own wealth his own wisdom, his own strength. That's the very thing that is his downfall in the end. Let me read the account of his dream in verses 10 to 17 for us. The vision, this is Nebi speaking now. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my, uh, of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. 
Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with, dew of, with the dew of heaven. Let, this portion be with the beasts, let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. See, in the verses that follow here in chapter 4, Daniel successfully interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And, and, and being in Nebuchadnezzar's place, you might think, man, here's his chance. He's going to wisen up. He's going to change his ways. He's, gonna, he, he, he's heard Daniel's interpretation before. He's seen what Daniel's God can do. He's going to learn to trust it and say, there's wisdom here. I'm going to follow that. But that's not what happens. See, this dream brings clarity as to the true seat of power and authority. Does it rest with man or does it rest with God and whomever God wills to give it to? See, in the, in this, in the, in the chapter, uh, chapter 4 and even in this dream, there's, there's a, a, a contrast that's being built with some of the language that, Daniel, or that, that God uses through the dream and, and, and Daniel's interpretation. He sets up this contrast between Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. These are words that in the Hebrew are repeated numerous times. Two opposite powers, two opposite sources of power that are being represented here. Authority from heaven versus authority or pretend authority found on earth. It's kind of like um, if you can imagine the difference between Coke and diet caffeine-free Coke, right? One is is delicious, one's just an imitation, an attempt to be good, but really is missing that thing that, that gives it that oomph that makes it awesome, right? Now, if you're a Diet Coke drinker, I'm, I'm, no offense, I, I like uh, Dr. Pepper Zero, that's my favorite, so this is not a condemnation on Diet Coke or anything like that. The point is, one's the real thing, and, and one is, is an attempt at the real thing. It's missing things. It's, it's not really the real thing. The authority is truly God's. And what we have here is an earthly king that's got all the trappings of what it may look like or seem like to have true power and authority. And in contrast, we have the God that Isaiah sees when he's, when he, at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, where he says, I see the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. He's up there in the heavens. And then down here, we've got an earthly king. And the two are kind of held in contrast. You may remember even some of Jesus' words that he declared before he returned to the Father. He says, all authority has been given to me. Right? The Father gave him that authority. Right? It wasn't his, but given to him by the Father. All power and authority is given from God. It's God's to own. It's not an earthly king. And, and though this is a hard and objective truth with no gray area, that the God who created you holds all authority and power and wisdom and might, who is sovereign over all things, this is 
hard and fast true. There's no gray area in this. And yet somehow, just like King Nebuchadnezzar, we kind of see it as a gray area. Like maybe we could share some of that power with God, to, to share in his authority, to share in his rule. It, this truth doesn't stop us from fooling ourselves into living pridefully as if we have that authority, that we have some say in power over some mysterious illness that we could never anticipate having or know how to fix apart from God. See, this truth of God's, God, God alone holding all power and authority and sovereignty doesn't stop us from living a, 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 this fantasy in which we are our own gods. It doesn't stop us from living the fantasy that, that says we get to say what's right and wrong. We, we get to say how we should use our resources that, that make us feel, you know, for our comfort or for our good, that make us feel happy. See, in Israel's story with Babylon, it wasn't Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar who conquered Israel. If you look back at the story, it was actually God punishing Israel for their sin. He called upon a foreign nation to exact this punishment on on his people because they had turned from him and were living in wickedness, committing atrocities toward one another. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, was filling Jerusalem with the blood of innocent people. And so God sends Babylon to correct the disobedience of Israel. But even though that's true, right, that's the fact, it doesn't stop King Nebuchadnezzar from, from somehow believing that it was really because of him, that, that he was the one who did it, that, 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 that his ego should be inflated, that he should be worshipped for his goodness and his greatness. It didn't stop him from believing that he was in control. You may remember even from last week, Nebuchadnezzar just wants to force people to worship him. But in chapter 4, where do we find him? We find him sitting in his house, flourishing in his palace. He calls upon his magicians and his wise men and his conjurers, his, his, his. All of what he has, he attributes to himself. He's the source of that power. Everything is his. Look at verses 28 through 31 of chapter 4. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, right? The, the, the outcome of the dream was just about to, to come upon him. It says, verse 29, At the end of 12 months, 12 months since Daniel had interpreted his dream, he was walking on the roof, the royal, the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Ooh, Is this not the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? <laughs> While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. See, in that dream, the great strong tree that, that grew and reached up to the heavens represents Nebuchadnezzar. That, that great tree that was meant to provide food for the animals and branches for the, tree, the, for the, the birds to rest on and, and shade for animals to gather underneath the, the, the tree. The, the one that God had provided for the animals of the land and the birds of the skies was the very one who, 
in his own pride and ego, thought about his own life and said, look what I've done. I mean, do we do that? Parents, we worship our kids. We say, man, look how good my kid is at that. I, I did that. No, no, I didn't. I, 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 have, I, I can look at my kids and see, uh, how do I say this? Uh, no, 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 I, no, no. <laughs> Let me rewind a little bit. I can see my bad habits, the bad habits that I live before my kids coming out, right? I, I can take credit for that. I can't take credit for the good. Parents, we, it's so simple for us to worship our kids and see them as something that we've produced rather than being gifts from God that we are to tend to and care for and nourish. We are meant to be that tree that provides them shade and food so that those, those children can grow up and be used by God to further his kingdom and his glory. Not for our glory. And, and parents, I'm picking on you right now, but that's not the only example of this. There's many other ways where we, where we look upon our lives and we say, look at my kingdom. Look at my 401k. Look at how far I've climbed up the corporate ladder. Look how... Look how, uh, how how much the, the community needs me or, 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 or how much I'm doing at church. Look at my kingdom. No. No, we're just like King Nebuchadnezzar. We're, we're just like him walking on the roof of our royal palaces saying, look at me. When we need to be saying, man, God, why are you so good to me? Why have you provided what you have? Why have you given me all that I have? Why, even when I turn my back on you, do you provide me food and nourishment and refuge and shelter? See, in, in the dream, it's King Nebuchadnezzar who's, who's going to get chopped down. Daniel tells him he's going to lose his kingdom. He tells him that this dream means he's going to be stricken with this disease, which modern uh, uh, scientists label as something like uh, lycanthropy or something like that. I can't even say it. But it's this disease where, where one actually believes and lives like they're an animal, right? They, they wander around eating the grass of the field. Their, their bodies are covered in sweat. They, they, they actually believe that they're an animal, and so they live like one. And so Nebuchadnezzar, after this dream, or after this, this declaration he makes, goes off to live in the wilderness. He loses his kingdom. He loses all that he was just glorying in. Because just like that, God can take that away. And saying, no, no, no. That's not your glory. I'm your glory. I, your Father, your Heavenly Father, who provides a tree that gives you shade by day and refuge by night. I'm the one you should glory in. See, what Nebuchadnezzar came to realize is that no matter how much he exerted his wisdom and strength and power and authority, it was not enough. It was not enough. Church, you are not enough. We cannot solve the problems of this world. We can only seek the face of the one who can and ask him to work in us and through us. See, Nebuchadnezzar's pride kept him from realizing that everything his people needed would be supplied by God. Understand something. 
This tree, the tree itself, is not the source of life. It's the agent God uses to provide life to his creation. And so King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't see that there was a greater power beyond him, behind him, over him, surrounding him, making him into this great and awesome tree. He just thought, hey, man, look how awesome I have become. Isn't this amazing? This motif of trees in the Bible comes in many places. The beginning of the Psalms, right? It talks about how, you know, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers, right? Um, but in his way delights in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. There's this motif of trees in the Bible. In fact, our, 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 the narrative of the Bible opens and closes with a tree. The trees in the garden and the tree that our Savior was crucified on. But in, in Genesis, shortly after he creates man in Genesis 1, we're told this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 29 to 30. God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. Who's, who's given it? God. All that we need for food and nourishment and sustenance is from God. This tree is not to be worshipped. It's an agent in the hands of God. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. See, God created the trees and the plants which he placed in the garden to give life and refuge for man. God is the source. The tree, the plant, is the agent through which God works to give his life to his creation. The tree was not the sovereign one. The agent God worked through to, to provide for his people was, was the tree. Genesis 2.9, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't say that the tree is so the sovereign one. We can't say that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the sovereign one when, when the tree of the knowledge of good and evil didn't bring life but brought death when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Yes, they're both there in the garden, but it was the tree of life that God, that, that God spoke through, worked through in his sovereign ways to bring us life. So I think the real problem for King Nebi is that he has been going around building temples to himself, building statues of himself, commanding people to bow before him and, and worship him as some great and sovereign ruler, but he's just a tool. He's, he's an agent in God's hands to provide and to, ful to fulfill God's plan. God can use in his sovereignty anyone, anywhere that he wants to fulfill his purposes and his plans. Even an evil and wicked foreign king who worships many other gods in Jesus. Even him, God can work through. Back in, in Daniel chapter 2, though, Daniel gives us the other side of this coin, the, the, a prayer that teaches us the, the, the correct response 
to God's sovereignty. Not to say, look at what I've done, but instead to say, look at what you have done, God. Look, look at what he says in verses 19 to 23 of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel's prayer isn't covered in me statements, but you statements. You, O oh God, give wisdom and might. You place kings in power and dispose them at, at the right time. This is the truth that Daniel reveals to King Nebuchadnezzar. Let me read it for us. 19 to 23. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have, known, have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel doesn't claim responsibility for any of this. He is ever aware of God's hand in his life. He's, he recognizes God's provision, God's care, God's wisdom and might. It's not his. And, and, and this is something that's so easy to forget in our day-to-day -day living unless it's the posture of our heart where we recognize that God is the sovereign one, not me, not King Nebuchadnezzar. It is God. In the end, 12 months after Daniel uh, told King Nebuchadnezzar about this dream that was to happen, and, and even shows him a, a pathway out of what seems like a hopeless outcome, 12 months later, King Nebuchadnezzar just goes all in on this dream. 12 months was all it took for him to abandon the wisdom that Daniel had shared with him, the, the wisdom from God to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar how to avoid the outcome of this dream. He, he, he showed him God's gracious hand. And yet, 12 months later, Nebuchadnezzar just kind of scoffs at it. Look at what Daniel tells him in verse 27 after he kind of gives him the interpretation of the dream. He says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Even to a foreign king who professes not to follow the God of all creation, God extends his grace. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, this doesn't have to turn out this way. You don't have to go down this path. Let me show you. Just repent. Do righteousness. Fight on behalf. Show mercy to the oppressed. But in just 12 simple months, King Nebuchadnezzar looks out on Babylon from the roof of his palace and forgets who truly provided all that he had. He forgot whose servant he was. He, he forgot how great and awesome God really is. He, he forgot what would happen unless his heart changed, unless he turned from his wicked ways, unless he turned from, from this self-declared autonomy and authority and recognized that God alone holds all wisdom and might. And in God's hand is not just power and might, but grace and forgiveness 
if we will take from his hand that which he offers us. Church, King Nebuchadnezzar teaches us how dangerous it is to forget who we are. He teaches how dangerous it is to forget whose we are and who God really is. I think that this is a danger especially true and real in our day and age. We deal with information overload. Our brains are filled with things. We, we, we have a hard time remembering what we're supposed to do or pick up on our way home from church today, let alone remember God. If, if we can't remember something so small and simple, I, I have a hard time remembering appointments. I have a calendar. I put things in my calendar. I get reminders, and yet I'm still distracted, right? I mean, that, partly that's me, but partly that's, that's characteristic of the world we live in, right? It's so easy to forget what's most important. We, we, the elders gathered this week, we were talking, one of the things that came up was how it's so easy to pay attention to what's urgent and not important, right? The, the things that are crying out for our attention in this world, that's what we give attention to, and we kind of prioritize the most important things behind that, and, and not just prioritize it, but it's so simple to forget what's most important. I'm, I'm, conf- I'm saying this in a confessional way before you today, but I hope you believe it for yourself as well. That it's true for all of us. That it's so simple to have our little devotional time in the morning with God and then head out into the rest of our day and, and, and forget that he's there. Forget that he's still with us. He's, he, yeah, we love at Christmas time to celebrate he is Emmanuel, God with us, but man, do we live by that? No. It's so simple to forget who God is, and especially at times when we're experiencing the things we've experienced this week, especially when we're walking through the valley, the shadow of dark. It's so hard to see beyond our own pain and anguish. It's so hard to to, to believe the truth. But here's the truth, that if we're building our lives upon Christ, we are building our life upon the rock a firm foundation so that when the storms come and we cannot see beyond the storm itself, our house will remain because it's built upon the rock, the life of Jesus. And that's what we need to do day in and day out is build firmer foundations in Christ so that we will not forget. Even in those moments where it's not at the forefront of our brains, our lives have been so shaped by a posture of living on the foundation of Jesus Christ that nothing will shake us, nothing will knock us down. Because we will always, every moment of every day, come back to God and say, God, you are my sovereign. You are my rock. Church, the the sin of the garden happened long ago. Where Adam and Eve chose to be their own God. They want to be like God rather than live in this place where they trust him to be their sovereign to provide all that they would actually need there in the garden. That sin happened a long time ago. But it's also still happening today. See, we like, we like Adam and Eve are just as tempted to think that, that, that no one can tell us right from wrong. I mean, this is not a condemnation on the church, but church, I know that the view of a pastor in a society is far less respected than it once was. 
we, we don't think that pastors like Pastor Moses and myself really have authority to tell us what's right and wrong. If anything, people want to kind of uh, say, Pastor, here's the decision I made. Can you approve it? Right? Can, you, can you just give me some rubber stamp approval of what I've done is right and good? They don't want to hear us disagree with them. And that's true in a number of other places where people have been given authority. Our elders, right? Elders are not just men that gather around and rubber stamp whatever the pastor says. We need to learn to respect their authority in the church. That they're not here just because we like them, but because in God's spiritual wisdom, he has called these men to step into roles to help shepherd and care for the flock. I'm talking about in the church context, but it's uglier, even more ugly out there in, in the public sphere, right? Like coming through COVID, everyone's like, trust the science, trust the science. But then, then another situation comes where like, yeah, I don't really like what the science says there, so I'm not going to agree with it, right? I mean, do we believe the scientists who have given their life to studying these things could be experts in this field? We don't want to trust their authority. We don't want to trust their wisdom, I mean, this is how we are on a horizontal level. Think how much worse it's become on a vertical level with God. Yeah, we love to gather on Sunday morning and praise God and worship him and celebrate him, but when God presses in on your life and say, you're going the wrong way, do we want to listen to him? No, we want to, we want to have our way. We want to go the path that we would like to go. Let me tell you something. If we can learn to trust God's sovereign hand in our lives, this world would be a far greater place. This church will be a far happier place to be in fellowship with. We love gathering together. Think how much greater it could be if we grow in this area of trusting God's sovereign hand to inform us what a, what a healthy life with him really is. Yeah, this, the sin of the garden happened long ago, but it's, it's still happening today. We still believe Satan's lies that independence and autonomy can be ours, right? We believe the lie that we are the master of our own destinies, that the the, the purpose of this world is to serve our happiness and our comfort. That's the greatest good we can pursue. No, it's not. We will be tragically disappointed if we reach the end of this life and realize our happiness was not the greatest good we could pursue. See, Nebuchadnezzar's story for us this morning is an example of the dangers of being led astray by the the false allure of power and autonomy. It's so easy to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. It's so easy to think more highly of our own beliefs than we ought to. We we question the the professional training of scientists, of, of pastors, of leaders, and to some degree we should, by the way. Because guess what? They're all human. They're not perfect. They will make mistakes. In fact, they have. But taken too far, we completely discredit our trust in any source of authority. And so I think the pendulum swing has to come back in this other direction. I I confess that pastors in our day and age, there are many examples of failed leadership. But that does not mean that the office that God has created in the church, in God's people, to lead and shepherd should be stripped of all authority. See, we are human. We make mistakes. But God is not like us, right? 
In, in, in the book of Numbers, Moses puts it like this. He says, God is not like man that he should lie. Period. End of sentence. God is not like man. He's a different kind of authority. He's perfect. He doesn't make wrong decisions. He doesn't make mistakes. He, he doesn't give us something that's actually foolish and not wise to do. So church, let's learn from Nebuchadnezzar's story that this world does not revolve around us. My resources are not meant to be hoarded and kept for myself because my happiness and my comfort mean the most. It revolves around someone far greater. This world revolves around one who is more just and righteous, more humble and powerful. This world is created, cared for, and provided by the one described in Psalm 121. Let me, let me read the, that psalm for us. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He won't walk upon his rooftop of, of his palace and, and glory in all that he created. He's never going to stop working on your behalf. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This, this is the sovereign one over our lives. We go to sleep. We get exhausted. We get fatigued. We burn out. God never does. He is your keeper. And finally, in, in Nebi's testimony, we find hope that every human authority Every human individual, whether they confess Jesus as Lord or not, is ultimately responsible to God for judgment and will be held accountable for their wickedness. Whether it's over there in Ukraine and Russia or here in Texas or in Buffalo or in California, we need to hope in the fact that though we cannot undo the wicked atrocities that have happened in this world, what Nebuchadnezzar's story tells us is that God will ultimately hold responsible those people for such evil and wickedness that we cannot comprehend what is going on. That's hope. We don't have to be the ones who bring about justice. No amount of justice that we can affect will actually make a difference. I'll tell you what, God can, and he will, and he's promised to in the scriptures. So thank God that he's still in control. Thank God that his perfect plan will be accomplished, that it's not done, and he's still unfolding it through you and me, through the rest of his church. That it's going to be done no matter how little hope we appear to have. Thank God that the evil and wickedness of this world will not last and will not rule. Nebuchadnezzar's story reminds us that, that what man meant for evil, God will use for good. See, the yoke of oppression that King Nebuchadnezzar put upon the people of Israel was devastating. It was selfish. It was all for his own glory, for his own power, so that he could stand on his rooftop one day saying, look what I did. I doubt he lifted one stone in building that palace, right? Right? It's a selfish, 
ego-driven, destructive yoke that King Nebuchadnezzar put upon the people of Israel. But get this, the yoke that King Jesus puts upon us, invites us to take upon our, uh, uh, us, provides rest in his goodness. Listen to these words as we close from Matthew 11. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. This is Jesus speaking. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who grieve this morning all who are overwhelmed by the darkness of this world. Jesus says, come to me, let me hold it. Trust me with those things, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus is a gentle and humble king under whose authority our souls find true rest. That's the sovereignty of God. That's the sovereign king that God has placed over us. One who has taken one for us to, to take refuge in when faced with the darkness and evil that we face in this world. Church, believe it that you are under a yoke right now. But the choice is yours. Whose yoke do you want to be under? You are not independent. You are not autonomous. You are under the authority of someone in this world. Whose authority do you want to be under? The question is, do you want to be under the oppressive yoke of a man? or the gentle and lowly yoke of Jesus. The choice is yours. I'm going to pray uh, to close our time, but as I do, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up, and uh, they're going to lead us as we continue in worship beyond this. But know that my prayer for us is that God would give us courage to go into a place of confession, confessing those places where we are trusting too confidently in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own ability, our own resources. Confession to, 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 or have courage to go to a place of confession where, where we think we know better than those people that have been, those scientists or those professionals who have been training to, to face the problems that, that this world faces. Courage to, to have a heart to learn to trust authority again and then to pray for those people that God's placed in authority to be trustworthy people to lead with. So let's, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are sovereign, you are just, you are righteous, that, that in you is all wisdom and power and might. Thank you for being such a sovereign God that desires to provide refuge for your people, nourishment for our souls and our bodies. Lord, we confess that we, in, uh, not just as a church, but as a people, struggle to trust. We have seen many examples of failed leadership or abuse of trust. And Lord, uh, Satan wants us to, to forgo trusting in anyone but ourselves. 
And yet, Lord, that's not your invitation. The invitation you place before us is first and foremost to trust in the gentle and lowly yoke of Jesus. Help us to start there, Lord. To trust your Son, our Savior, that he is worthy of our trust, that he is faithful and true, that he is not a king who glories over uh, just leading people under a heavy yoke, but that he is a, a sovereign king who will go forth and die on our behalf. Not, not asking other people to die for him, but that he would die for us. Help us to trust in that sovereignty. And Lord, help our world to, to, to raise up leaders who are trustworthy as well in the steps of Jesus. That this world may have examples of leadership to trust in and to build that trust, that they might exhibit the character of Christ and be obedient to your word in submitting to the, 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 the authority of people you've placed in authority. But Lord, I pray at the end of the day, no matter who that human being is, we would see them as a tree, the tool which you have created and you have provided to give food for the people of the land, food for their souls, refuge under their branches, rest. So Jesus, come. Forgive us in those places where we confess. Strengthen us to follow you more faithfully. And may we learn not to trust in ourselves like King Nebuchadnezzar, but to trust in you and you alone. Have your way in this world, we pray. We need you so, so badly. May you show yourself to be the king of all creation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about the study as I was coming into church today about Daniel, and I was thinking about what an amazing faith he had and that it never wavered. And as we just learned about King Nebuchadnezzar, um, his always wavered. Um, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Daniel knew that. He knew that if he put his faith in God, that his burden would be easy and it would be light because God would help him carry it. He knew that even though King Nebuchadnezzar was the king, he wasn't his king. God was his king. So let's stand as we sing, You Are My King.
Hello, Trinity. Good morning. How are you? Well, I'm a little shy, so you're going to have to forgive me. But I have a small announcement to make. I am here today to plead, beg, and reach out to you, all of you, Trinity, that the worship team needs your help. That's right, you, Trinity. I'm reaching out to you. That means we need you to do a little bit of everything. What we're asking you is to reach into your heart from everything from our instruments to our singers to our tech booth upstairs. We really need to reach out for you. Now, what does that really truly mean? All it means is if you could push a space bar, that's all we're asking. Even if it's just one Sunday every three months, that really, really helps us out. And I have to tell you, there's an experience that you're not experiencing down here that you are up there when you hear Christ's word. Oh, yeah, there's a whole new experience when you're looking down at Dan, and he's preaching up at you. And if he says anything that you don't like, you can just silence him. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. But God's word is actually more intense up in our worship booth and up here with people like Janice and Pastor Moses. It's actually a different view on Christ's love, on Christ's word. It's a whole different world. And we're asking you that we can train you on anything and everything you'd like to do to praise God in a different way. To praise God from here, up there, instead of over here. Now, there's nothing wrong with being our parishioners and being a part of our Trinity family and serving God. But this is a whole new level. Oh, it's a whole new experience. It's a whole new feeling inside of your heart. And I can guarantee you our camaraderie, our family, our fun, all goes to worship Jesus Christ. So if you find it in your heart, if you find it absolutely the calling to come talk to me, I will absolutely lead you to have fun, to guide you. It is not hard. It is not tenuous. We're not asking for every Sunday. Like I said, one every third, a Sunday every third month would help us. And that experience you will have serving Christ in a whole other way will absolutely open up your eyes and your heart. Also, we want you to know that we're going to be dedicating, right? So we're going to be dedicating children coming up next weekend? June 19th. It's up there if I just read. It's right there. Hey, it's up there. Okay. Sunday, June 19th, we get to experience dedicating new members to Trinity to welcome them into Christ's heart. To start them on their journey, all of us together get to do that on June 19th. So I really do hope that you come in and celebrate with Trinity as we dedicate these beautiful children to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to thank you again. Please come speak to me. I would be honored and privileged. And now, because I am kind of shy, I'll hand it back over to Janice and Pastor Dan. That public service announcement was brought to you by the worship team. <laughs>
Uh, hey, uh, church, as we close our time, I hope you truly know every, everyone has an opportunity to serve the Lord. We're, we're grateful for those who would contribute gifts in whatever way they feel they can. Also, uh, real quickly, we do have one more announcement. I'm looking, oh, Jason. June 4th is our church work day. So if, you, if that's one way you want to serve, if you can't hit a space bar, but you can move a shovel or something like that, we've, we've got a way for you to serve. So hopefully you'll join us uh, for that as well. I'm still petitioning for the power tools, but Jason tells me no. So uh, power tools for me. Other people he'll trust them to. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he gives me hand tools. That's what it is. Church, would you stand as we close this morning's service with, uh, with this benediction? That we would remember these words from Psalm 10 this week. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. This is our king. This is our sovereign. Go in that knowledge. Go in peace. And he always does.